0: We're going to take a look at a few things here. I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of John, the gospel of John and chapter 14. You know, this whole thing about everything we teach is about us looking forward to something. And if we get that right, then we can learn how to live right. But you want to make sure you've got taken care of the most important thing, which is, you know, going to heaven when you die. And uh, a lot of people live living their whole lives and they haven't, taking care of the most important thing of all because you can die at any moment. And if you haven't taken care of where you're going to spend eternity, you're waiting a little long. And uh, that might be all right if you knew that you had time right before you die. You know, if I knew I had about five minutes right before I die, that I got five minutes to make it right. Well, that would be pretty good for everybody, wouldn't it? Everybody just wait till you get that last five minutes and then take care of everything. But what if you get senile? Wouldn't that be terrible? You know, you don't even know who you are. <laughs> and that's possible. And then what if we get killed in Iraq? You know, or something serious happened and you didn't get it taken. And then for all eternity you have to think about neglecting the most wonderful thing in all the world. And that is being able to go there. So in the book of John in chapter 14, I want you to look at this. This just simply says that if Jesus is real and God is real, then there is a heaven and that there are mansions there and we're going to live in these, this mansion. A place, a house of many rooms. In verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God. And that's good enough. No, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So what is he saying? It's true. It's real. And if he can't lie, then he just told the truth. There's a literal heaven that we're going to be going to. He says, and I told you before, I go to prepare a place for you. Not a state of mind. You know, it's just all in your mind. I've had people say, well, heaven and hell is right here on earth. And you make your own heaven and hell. And, uh, well, if that's true, I'm not sure that I, this is, I'm experiencing heaven totally. (laughs) There might be a little... uh, the other I'm experiencing every once in a while. And if this is heaven, uh, there's a lot of people haven't caught on yet, I supposed to love each other? They forgot all about that. But he says in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now, is that a promise? And there is a real place. And we're really going to go to this place. He says, And receive you unto myself. So he's going to receive us to himself. And then he says... And where I am, there you may be also. And if this is true, then there's people who are also teaching that you're going to be cast out in the kingdom. If you don't really serve the Lord here, he's going to cast you out of the kingdom. There's people that are teaching that stuff. That's not the Bible. It's Christ says he'll never leave me, never forsake me. Now, why would he kick me out of the kingdom upon the earth? Uh, because I didn't serve him. I don't believe that. But there's people that are starting to teach this, and I believe it's wrong. But anyway, he says, and whether I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't have a GPS. And how are we going to find you? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So he is the only way that we can get there. Now, if there is a heaven, who's in charge? Who's going to be in charge? Well, I think, Warren, are you going to be in charge? We get, finally get to heaven, who's going to be in charge? Somebody's got to be in charge. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2 and verse 27. We know that there is going to be somebody who is going to rule during this period of time, and the kingdom upon the earth. Just look at this verse here in verse 27, And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. If he's going to rule, then he must be the one that's in charge. And he says in the last part of that verse, Even as I received of my father, the father gave him the right to rule. So we know that there's somebody in charge. So there is a a real place, and there is a, a ruler That is in charge. And is going to be in charge of all these things here. Now take your Bible and look in Hebrews in chapter 11. Hebrews in chapter 11. Just look at a few of these little things. Kind of refresh your mind a little bit about what's the purpose of all of this. Well think about where we're going to go. And you know that's going to be happening. It can help you to have. Well these verses are like shock absorbers in your life. Because they. They help cushion all the troubles that we have. If you get a car and you're driving down the road and there's a pothole, you're going to be glad the tires are made of rubber and you've got some springs and some shocks. All those things that help give you a smoother ride so that you don't come in total contact with the ground. Well, we're in this world, but the verses in God's Word are like shock absorbers. They're absorbing the shock that we go through. Like, This happened and that's bad, yes, but this verse says, Boom. And this verse says, and you comfort one another with these words. That's what he says in the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter um, 4 and verse 18 when he says, comfort one another with these words. The words of God are supposed to bring comfort. Now, there's things in this life I can't change. I can't make people do anything. I can't stop a lot of the circumstances. All I can be in charge of is um, me. And how do I govern my thoughts? What kind of an attitude do I have? As you live your Christian life, you'll find out there's going to be things that are going to go contrary to you. And so all kinds of things are going to happen. But now look what he has here in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Uh, Look there in verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. He didn't know the direction. He didn't have a GPS either. He just had to take and trust the Lord as he went. And as we serve the Lord, that's pretty much what we have to do. He doesn't always tell us everything in advance or how everything's going to work out. We just walk and trust the Lord moment by moment, day by day, and trusting that God is going to come through and do like He promised. And some things will work out smooth, and some things are going to be some rough spots in our life. And, um, and most of our problems are going to come from, you know, people. Um, but sometimes they're self-inflicted. Have you ever afflicted yourself? In other words, you made dumb decisions, and you brought some things upon yourself. You did it yourself. That's not the smartest move, but try to understand the source of why we do what we do and think the way we do and feel the way we do, and um, sometimes we don't perceive everything the way things really are. But here in this verse... He says in verse 9, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. Now, he lived in tents. What did Jesus say we're going to have? We're going to get a mansion. Okay, Abraham, you have the tent. I'll take the mansion. But that was while he was here on the earth. But did Abraham look beyond this life And that tent he was living in. And remember, he was promised this land. And he never received the full promise of everything God promised him. It was down the road. But there's something that Abraham did have. And look at this. In this verse 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So there's somebody who is in another place that's building another mansion that we're going to go to. And look what he has here. And just look at this verse. Look at verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. In other words, you're talking about burning bridges. He just made, he couldn't remember where he came from or how to get back. I think the Lord sometimes maybe do that a little bit to us. Maybe we didn't lose our mind. God just wiped out a particular thought, and you don't know how to get back. But now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Now, he was dwelling in tents here, but he's going to have a city there. And I don't think it's a city of tents. I think it's going to be a mansion. But there's going to be also upon the earth... God's going to take and rule and reign. So we know that the ruler is the Lord. And uh, but now, if there's this heaven, this wonderful place called heaven, and we know who's in charge—that's God. Well, how do we get there? What are the requirements to live forever in this beautiful place that God has beyond this life? Take your Bible and look in the Book of John, chapter three. The Book of John and chapter 3 now if he tells these people here when he was on the earth that in order to see the kingdom of god or to enter into the kingdom of god well if he tells one person this is what they must do and if god is just and fair nobody deserves to go to heaven any more than anybody else so whatever one person has to do every person has to do to get there If he says the gospel is the gospel of grace, and you cannot save yourself by your works, then no man ever could. I've had some people say, well, in the Old Testament, they had to keep the law to be saved. You mean they had to earn it? They had to deserve it. Well, that's contrary to grace. And God's already said, "Cursed is the man that continues not in all things, which are written in the book of the law to do them. You have to be perfect. So nobody's ever got to heaven any other way than being saved by grace. Now know what he says here. In verse 7, marvel not. That's why we always tell people, we're going to keep the Ten Commandments. You've got to know them. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not play marbles." Because the Bible says marvel not. But in verse 7, marvel not that I said unto thee, and you ought to underline this phrase in your Bible, you must be born again. Who? Who has to be born again? Anybody that wants to go there. And there is no other way. Everybody has to be born again. That means by the new birth. Because without a new birth, nobody goes. Adam and Eve had to have the new birth. All the Old Testament saints, you had to have a new birth. you didn't have a new birth, you don't go. There is no exclusions. It's that way or no way. So you have to know what is the requirement. Well, he explains how to be born again, because he tells Nicodemus, he says, "Um, you're a ruler in Israel, you're a teacher, and you don't know these things? In other words, Jesus, when he was here, expected Nicodemus to know what being born again meant. But he didn't. And so he said, if you don't understand the earthly things, how are you going to understand heavenly things? He says, you must be born again. And so then he uses an illustration, especially down in verse 14, when he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should have everlasting life. So they were told that in the Old Testament and expected them to know what it stood for. There's a lot that is said Uh, In a way here in the New Testament that you don't find it explained as clearly in the Old Testament. doesn't mean that they didn't get it and they weren't told. It's just that certain things are not always written down. Just like, how did we know that Moses knew about Christ? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, he esteemed the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. So he knew about Christ. And then when you read the book of Jude, it talks about even any, the seventh from Adam... Preach concerning Christ coming back with 10,000 of his saints. Well, you go back to Genesis, you don't find those scriptures written. But the Holy Spirit knows what they knew and what they didn't know. And he says they did know. So anyway, you must be born again. So that's the requirement so that everybody can have this eternal life and and go to heaven. Now, we believe that there is a a role. You ever heard that song, when the rolls are served up yonder, I'll be there? I mean, when the role is called up yonder, I'll be there. Because um, I believe that um, God is going to do it. Take your Bible look in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 12. Look in Matthew chapter 12. There's an interesting little statement made here. And it probably will take place at the great white throne judgment which we will probably be there, but not to be judged in any way, because we will probably be there as witnesses and uh, to testify and so forth. But understand what God says here about people who want to um, be justified by their works. Okay, God has a a book for the lost and he has a book for the saved. Sometimes we say the book of the living for the lost and the book of life for those who trust in the Lord. They have eternal life, the Lamb's book of life. But here in Matthew, in chapter 12, uh, there's a couple of verses I want you to see. Look there in verse 35. A good man, out of the good treasures of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasures, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that, and you ought to underline this in your Bible, every idle word. I don't know, does that mean even that it's said in jest? Even a little white lies? Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word. Words that I guess we say that, um, you know, it was just off the cuff. We didn't really mean it. It was just something we said. You know, words are like arrows. Once they're in flight, you can't bring them back. And sometimes we say things in a, you know, a joking way. I, I, I tell a lot of jokes. <laughs> sometimes I don't plan on it. It just happens. But to give an account of every, it means somebody must be keeping track. How can you bring every word? In, look in verse 37. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words shalt thou be condemned. So in other words, at the... Great white throne judgment when the lost are judged. I'm glad that we've already trusted Christ as Savior. We're not going to be condemned and so forth. Because once you trusted Christ, you're having eternal life. You're going to heaven. You've been forgiven. But there's going to be people going to have to give of every word because, you know, they didn't trust the Lord because, well, I'm good enough. And God's going to show by their words, their thoughts, their deeds, uh, you didn't qualify. You did not meet the requirements of perfection. So you don't get to go. And so I think it's very important to keep that in mind. Take your Bible and look there in the book of Revelation chapter 20. Revelation in chapter 20. And we'll just start there in verse 12. Well, we'll start in verse 11 because it lets you know where we are. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. In other words, hell was made for the devil and his angels. And they didn't trust the Lord, so they can't go to heaven. So they go into a place where the devil and the, see there in verse 10, The devil that deceiveth them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Now the beast and the false prophet has already been there for a thousand years because that that was at the beginning of the, the millennium, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's where the devil is. The devil, his angels, the beast, false prophet, and those who have never trusted the Lord. And we know that they are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Look at verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, where he says you must be born again. Okay, they weren't was cast into the lake of fire. Well, who's already in the lake of fire? The devil, the beast, the false prophet, and now all the lost people for all eternity who never trust the Lord, this is where they're going to be. So he says here in verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So there's books and in the book singular. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, not the Lamb's book of life, not the book of life. Because there's the book of life, and then there's the books. The lost were judged out of that book because they never made it to the other book. This is why I hold that particular view. Anyway, he says, And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their what? According to their works. You see how that some people, if they don't know about the new birth and understand the salvation, they read a verse like this, see there? You've got to be good. You're going to be judged according to your works. And if your works outweigh your bad, then you go to heaven and if they don't, then you go to hell. That's just a natural way to assume that. But that's not what he's talking about. These are all the lost people and they're already condemned. They're not going there to be condemned. They're already condemned. Where does it say that? Christ came not to condemn the world, but to save them, because they are already condemned. Anyway, we'll be looking at that later, John 3, 18 and 17. But now notice what he says. And they were judged every man according to their works. So we know that the Christian's destination is not according to our works. Christ's work was put to our account. We're going to heaven on his perfection. But the lost man who didn't, every word, thought, deed, man has to give account for and because of that, did any of these pass the test? No, because it says here, and the sea gave up the dead bodies that were in it. And the death, that's the body. And hell, that's Sheol, that's the place where the people who rejected Christ as Savior was in hell now and delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. says it twice. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, the being born again and you must be born again is the way you get your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Because you were born into God's family. Now, this lets us know that yes, there is a roll call. And... Their names are in uh, these books, and uh, very important what you say and do and think, especially if you're not gonna trust Christ as Savior and you're gonna have to give an account at this time at the great white throne judgment. All right, take your Bible look in Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Remember, when we trust Christ as our Savior, according back there in the book of um, Isaiah and all, and uh, it talks about God is going to give to us the robe of righteousness, a robe of righteousness. Now this robe of righteousness is where God gives to us His righteousness and when God looks at us, He doesn't see us, He sees the robe of righteousness that was Christ. So that means I will be looked upon by God as as righteous, as perfect, as just, perfect as God Himself because He gives me His righteousness. That's what he does when you trust Christ as your Savior. See, he took our sins and he gives us his righteousness when you believe. He doesn't give you his righteousness just because he made a payment for your sins. When you believe, it shall be imputed unto you if we believe. That's in the book of Romans in chapter 4. So we must believe. And once you believe, he gives you his righteousness and you're good to go. So you have to have this robe of righteousness. Now here in the book of Revelation chapter 19, Look in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice when we get to heaven. Do you think that's something we can be glad and rejoice about now? You see, knowing that things are taken care of can give you peace about, you know, your peace of mind and joy and happiness here in this life. See, these things that God tells us about, and you really believe that it's true can make a whole lot of difference in the attitude you have now. But if you doubt that, you're going to doubt a lot of things that God promised, and you're going to be one miserable individual. You'll question everything that happens, and nobody loves me, and you'll have your pity parties, and I'm going to go out in the garden and eat worms, or my pet rock died. You know, it's just the end of your world. In verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife Has made herself ready. This wife, we believe, is the bride of Christ. The church. Between Pentecost and the rapture, all those who trust Christ as Savior are part of the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And we're going to go to a marriage. And the next time I get married, I'm going to be the bride. Does that make sense? Anyway, we're going to be the bride. So we're going to be dressed in the righteous acts of the saints. Now notice what he says here in verse 2. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now salvation is based upon the righteousness of Christ. We're talking about how we're going to be dressed and the praise, the honor, the glory is going to be defined by what did we do for the Lord after we were saved. So when we... Go to this marriage of the Lamb. Where have we been right before this? Judgment seat of Christ. Judgment seat of Christ, and that's where God rewards us for what we've done. Let every man give account of himself to God. And it says, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So, see, that's why sometimes um, when I'm faithful and I consider myself to be fairly faithful... I'll come to church when we have a lot of people when we have a few people. Whether I have a lot in Sunday school class or just a few in Sunday school class. At one time we had a, a whole section here. That, and so we split it up so that other people can have chances to teach. And y'all get a different variety because you may get enough of the preachers. And say, man, I wish I could listen to somebody else for a change. Well, we've, we take care of that too. But whether we have a few uh, Sunday night or Wednesday night, I go ahead and I'm just as faithful in any night. And I preacher's just as hard on any sermon as though I had a thousand. Why? Because I know every man shall give an account to the Lord, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own work. God's going to bless me because of what I do, not what you do. If I'm faithful and other people are not, well, that's on them, right? I'm not going to be judged by the way you're faithful or you're not faithful. You don't determine whether I'm a good preacher or a bad preacher. It's not your call. It's God's. If I'm faithful to the word of God, then God's going to reward me for that. So I don't worry about people's opinions. I hope everybody likes me. I mean, everybody wants to be liked. But I know that my standing is because of what Christ did. And I know that my rewards are because of what I did. And if I do what is right, let's say, for example, I do you really wrong. I'm really bad. I'm a mean old preacher and I did you wrong. But if you do right, God's still going to reward you. I'm going to suffer the loss of what I could have had. So nobody here makes all the perfect decisions. We always, well, we hurt, we offend, and things like that. Why do you think God says love one another, forgive one another? Why? Because everybody wrongs one another. If we didn't wrong each other, we wouldn't have to worry about it. But we do, don't we? Now, if everything was perfect down here, we wouldn't need to go to heaven. We already got it. But it ain't right down here. And one day we're going to be with the Lord in heaven. So God says that we're going to stand at the judgment seat of the Christ, and we're going to be dressed in the righteousness of the saints. In other words, you're getting ready to go to the marriage. And every one of us is going to be decked out. And I don't know how God's going to do it, whether or not we are as the stars of heaven, different in glory, and the rewards is based upon the praise, the honor, and glory that God gives to each one of us. I don't know how he's going to do it. I've often studied the crowns. You know, there's different crowns in the Bible. I only got one head. How many crowns am I going to wear? Does he stack them up? I mean, do I have them you know, around my neck? What, all these rewards. Is it something I got to care? Do I need a wheelbarrow when I get up there? Or, you know, a, a U-Haul so I can take it to my mansion? Or do I just go into my mansion and there they all are? You know, I don't know and don't care. Let God take care of the details. And I used to sing a little song when I was a kid. And I had no clue what it meant. Lord, build me just a cabin in the corner of glory land. And I forgot the rest of it. Lord, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. Well, now that I know the Bible, I want a, I want a mansion on Hallelujah Avenue. I mean, I want to be front and center. But I guess everybody would like to have that. But we're going to stand before the Lord. So there is this righteousness that we need to have be toward the road. So we're going to have a robe. Going to have a robe. Now, when should you make your reservation? When should you make this reservation? Day before you die. You know, by trusting the Lord early, you get more chances to serve the Lord and get more rewards. Don't that make sense? But also, you've got more time to mess up. I'm not sure which way it is. Trust the Lord, and boom, I'm out of here. But then I didn't have a chance to serve the Lord. So God is merciful to us and giving us grace. And it's all at the same time. Did you realize just living for the Lord in this period of time upon the earth? That's grace. What did I do to deserve it? This opportunity of life, I'm living by grace. I don't deserve any of it. But God has given to me. And this is why Paul says, God's grace that was bestowed upon me was not bestowed upon me in vain. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. In other words, I worked and I did what God wanted me to because I did not want God to give me this grace and then me wasted. Give me this life and then throw it all away. Because we know we're going to live past this life. And that day is coming. So that's why that is so important. All right. Turning your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. To your left, just a couple pages. First Peter, and we've often said this, that whenever you get saved, you're getting saved from something to something, from hell to heaven, and that's what salvation is. You're being saved from the flames of hell to heaven. So when I get saved, I should know I'm not going to hell, and I should know I'm going to heaven. Or if you don't know the answers of those two, then how do you know you're saved? What does saved mean? Saved has a meaning to it. So look what he says here in verse 3. In verse 3, chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. Hath begotten us again. It's like I was alive in the flesh. I died And I'm alive again by the new birth. So Christ's death was put to my count as though I died. So I was alive and I died and now I'm alive again. But I'm alive spiritually and I have eternal life. I have been born again. That's why in 1 Peter he talks about that. Let's look there in chapter 1 and verse 23. Being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So you were born into God's family by the new birth. That's what you did. So in verse 3 there, when he says, Hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, or a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We know that hope that we have in the Lord is true, because Jesus came back from the dead. Remember, I just preached a sermon not long ago on about the The reasons for the resurrection and the value that it has for the Christian life. That's how we know it's true because a man came back from the dead. And if he can come back from the dead, he has more power than I got. Now look what he says here in verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. And here's my reservation reserved in heaven for you. Now why would God make a reservation for me if he already knows I'm not going to show up? He knows I'm going to be there. I've got a reservation. Jesus is my ticket. It's already been punched. His scars is the proof of payment. He is my receipt. He came back from the dead. And he is my the only reason I know I'm going to heaven is cuz I've got my reservation. I've got my ticket. And he said, he would never leave me and never forsake me. I have eternal life. I'm going to heaven when I die. And so, when should you make sure of this reservation? Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. In other words, never count on tomorrow. That's why it's so important for every person to trust Christ as Savior as soon as possible. Because the sooner you trust Christ as Savior, the sooner you can, as a child of God, go to work for him. And if you haven't trusted the Lord, you can't work for the Lord. You can do things, but you're not his child, and God's not going to reward you. So let's take a look at the Bible over there in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and notice what it has here. In verse 8, Now he that planteth And he that watereth are one. You see, I may sow some seeds. Another child of God may come along and water what's already been sown. But it's God who gives the increase. It's God who saves the soul. The man who plants doesn't win the soul necessarily or give that life. That life that that person has has to come from the Lord. We just sow seeds. That's why I don't worry so much about you know that I wouldn't see everybody in the whole world. No, no. Just keep sowing seeds. That's why the radio ministry of the internet ministry and all the ministries we have just keep sowing the seeds. We don't know what's going to grow. And I believe I've led people to the Lord that they were just ripe. But because somebody else had sown some seeds and tried to explain it and maybe gave them the gospel and they just didn't trust the Lord. And then there'll be people I will witness to and I can't make headway with them. Somebody has come along and Man, you ought to see, I talked to this person, they trust the Lord right about it. Well, and you never know what's going to happen. Just sow the seeds. And as he says in Isaiah 55, it will not return to me void. Believing and putting confidence in the word of God. And just keep sowing the seeds. And God will reward us. See that verse? And every man, we can throw the women in there too, shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. What you do, you're going to get rewarded for it. I've often wondered, not do I get any interest off of the other people that I've led to the Lord or are still leading some others to the Lord? I thought, that, that would be great. But then all of mine, if that's true, then I ought to get theirs. Yeah, but then the guy who led me, the Lord, I ought to get all of mine? Hey, wait a minute. I don't know if I like this idea or not. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Just do what you can for the Lord while you can the days are coming when no man shall work, do what we can while we can. This sin represents you and me. The wallet represents sin, we all have sin on us. Now God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. And for you and I to pay for sin, because now we're all sinners, and we are all in debt, and the wages is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God, and none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We have all sinned and come short of God's perfection. So, God, you can't save yourself by any good works. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into this world. Now, he has no sin, but he came into this world because he loves us. He hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But because he loved us, he took our sins and paid our sin debt. The debt we owed, he paid, came back from the dead. And says, whosoever in the whole world would believe that he did it for them, he'd put this payment to their account, and you get to go to heaven on what he did. Yes, I'm going to heaven when I die. There's no way I could go to hell, Impossible because I don't have any sins to pay for. And 10 years from now or 100 years from now, I still don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all my sins. If that's not true, then he didn't do anything for me. And he didn't do anything for you. Because he paid it all. It was finished. Whatever it takes to get you to heaven, he paid for it. The only thing he asked us to do was, God, so love the world that he gave his only begotten son. The whosoever, what? Believeth in him. Two things, guaranteed. You will not perish, you won't go to hell. Have eternal life, you get to go to heaven. And all you had to do is believe it. Well, you believe that what he did, he did it for you. Because God's not asking you to change your life. He's not asking you to stop anything or join anything not asking you to give anything. Salvation is not you promising to stop something, join something. Eternal life is receiving what he did for you. And he loves you that much. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning, and perhaps you never understood this before, God loves you and he wants you to go to heaven. I love you too and I want you to go to heaven. I know that I have eternal life. I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And I'm no better than you are. But I heard the gospel. Would you put your faith in this good news? It's the only good news there is. That if you'll trust him, he'll save you and give you eternal life. And when you get up, you can say, I know I'm going to heaven today. Because today I trusted Christ as my Savior. Not the preacher, not the church, not my good works. Friend, you can't go wrong by trusting the only true and living God there is. So if you will trust Christ as your Savior, would you let me know by an uplifted hand? Just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down. If you've already trusted the Lord before, don't worry about it. It's still good. But if you haven't trusted the Lord, now's a good time. So before we close, is there anyone at all say, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior, and I'd like you to pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you forward. Anyone at all. If you're watching by internet, right on the screen says, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. I pray that you will. Father, we thank you again for your blessings to us. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to teach your word. And, Father, we want people to understand just what you did. You paid for every sin for everybody so that everyone can have eternal life by faith alone in what you did for them. So bless each one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.